This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome back, friends and family, to Awareness Explorers. Good to have you. I'm Jonathan Robinson. I'm with my co-host. Brian Tom O'Connor. And we are exploring the topic of asceticism and indulgence. You know, historically, a lot of teachers have talked about this subject. You know, do you give up stuff on the spiritual path? Do you indulge in the spiritual path? Like in some tantric traditions? And we haven't explored it. And yet, um, I have a pretty big background in both asceticism and even a bigger background in indulging myself. Uh, how about you, Brian? Oh, I certainly have a background in indulgence and not much of a background in asceticism, although I find that word hard to say, so I like to use the word abstinence. And there are things that I abstain from that I used to not abstain from, but I have no idea whether that has affected awakening to my true nature or not. Well, I think I like the word abstinence better because asceticism sounds harsher, and abstinence means like you're abstaining from something that might interfere with your spiritual growth. That could be everything from Facebook to uh, social media to food to drugs to sex to... Well, basically, we've built an entire culture on indulgence, so abstaining from any part of the culture is is hard nowadays there's also abstaining from believing your thoughts ooh you're getting subtle on me now <laughs> or abstaining from too much work which is a very common one nowadays i'm in favor of that abstaining from perhaps even certain emotions i remember uh, neem karoli baba ramdas's teacher told Ramdas to give up anger. He didn't say, you know, trying to work out your anger. He said, just stop it. So Ramdas did that as best he could. He said, I'm not going to allow myself to get angry because, you know, anger is all based on blame. And that was a big practice for him. Now I'm wondering, have you tried to abstain from something that you knew was kind of in the way of, of you progressing spiritually, if you want to call it that? The only thing is what I mentioned, abstaining from rumination, from verbal thought, like sitting for a moment and, and asking myself, what can I notice in my experience without words describing? And that's an abstinence in a way, but it's not abstinence in the sense that Throughout my life, I'm giving up something because you can't give that up and lead a life. You 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 need it. There there is one time when I you know I I gave up smoking, and so I definitely abstained from that. But I didn't do it for spiritual reasons. I gave it, I did it for health reasons. Mm -hmm. Well, as you were doing these things, I like the one about you know abstaining from thought for a minute or or just not ruminating. I think that's a really good example, and I've done that. It does feel like an abstaining. Like It does take intention, effort, and clarity of purpose to say, I'm not going to go there for now. Right, right. But the trick is, and, and it's the same trick as with 
with anger is that when you decide you are not going to think, your mind has other ideas. And if you approach it with effort and fighting and prevention, I'm not going to think, it usually doesn't work. If you simply allow the thoughts to come and go by themselves, or actually even better, replace it with something else. So in other words, instead of not thinking, and that's why I said noticing body sensations, for example, there's plenty of stuff in your experience that you don't use words or need words to directly experience. And so it's just shifting the focus from that inner monologue in your head to, for instance, a breeze on your face or the feeling of your body against the chair or a sound that you hear. You don't need to name a sound. You don't need to classify it. And with anger, though, that's very dangerous. I mean, it's very interesting what you said about Ram Das, because my experience with anger, free spiritual searching, was that I did not want to become angry. I thought it was a bad thing and unaccepted, unacceptable to my family and friends. And I squashed it. I stopped being angry. And that led to really severe depression. So I actually had to experience anger and admit I was angry and express it for a while. But now I don't have the feeling that you need to express anger. You you notice it. You don't resist it. You don't tighten and clutch against it. You let it come. You soften. You let it go. I think that's more healthy than saying, I will not be angry. Mm -hmm. Well, you bring up a couple of interesting points. One of them is there's right effort for you. And, you know, some people might, with ruminating thoughts, use cancel, cancel, you know, just stop it. But other people might use something like focusing on sensations. And you have to find what is an effective abstinence method for you that works. And different things work for different people. That's something we say a lot on Awareness Explorers. That's one thing. And then with the anger, um, I'm kind of like you, where I, my wife is happy when I express anger because I squashed it. And she knows that if I'm angry, it's a stretch for me, you know, that I don't want to abstain from anger. I've, I've, I've already abstained from anger all my life, you know, being afraid of it. So if I can, you know, express anger, my friends and, and wife think, oh, well, Jonathan's really stretching into new territory now. So you have to be very careful what you try to abstain from. You don't want to abstain from something that would actually be a growth experience for you. That's right. And, and you're absolutely right. Uh, right effort is the effort that works for you as an individual. And I think that's very wise. You know, I recently um, caught up with a dear and old friend and we were talking and he said he's much happier than he used to be. And I asked him why. And he said, at one point, I made a decision not to take anything or anyone seriously. And that's a form of abstinence. Yeah, it is. And and I noticed a couple of years ago, my wife took a workshop and she developed a sense of humor out of it where she stopped taking herself so seriously. 
And it really was a big shift in consciousness because if you take every emotion and every thought as being, you know, hugely important, then it has a effect on your life. Whereas you develop a sense of humor and uh, you're lighter about things, that is an abstinence from you could call indulging in your personal story. Right. Absolutely. But yeah. a lot of times if we talk about abstinence or particularly asceticism, most of the time people think of something that they need to give up, like meat or um, giving up comfort or something like that in order to progress spiritually. And it is, I don't think always, there isn't always a direct connection. As a matter of fact, there's a famous story, and forgive me, all you Buddhists out there, I'm no Buddhist scholar, but the famous story that Buddha lived a life of extreme asceticism, and, and he wasn't even eating, and he actually had to give that up and eat something before becoming enlightened. So that's when he sort of found the middle way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that makes spiritual growth so difficult is that everybody's in a different place and their next step is not something you can read in a book that applies to everyone. So, you know, some people that are very indulgent need to abstain from something. Some people who are into abstaining, you know, and, and becoming like self-important and self-righteous about it, they need to indulge in stuff, you know, that's their, their next step. Exactly. So it sounds like the middle way is required for both of them, both of those extremes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember once uh, in a conversation with Ramdas, he said something that really struck me. He said he always wanted like a, an MG, you know, a, a, like a sports car. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a long time that he really desired it. And he finally realized that getting the stupid car was going to be a step forward on his spiritual path. Because until he got it, he was going to always think that that's it. You know, that's 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 going to do it for me. So he got the car, and he enjoyed it for a while, and then it became like everything else. Like, you know, oh, it's okay. It doesn't do it for me, totally. And, and um, I felt that way about Hot Tub. You know, life would be perfect if I just had a hot tub. And uh, actually, it is nice. I like my hot tub. Uh, it has not changed my life totally. But, you know, sometimes you have to just relent and say, you know, I've been dreaming about this. I need this. I need, I need to get over this dream by having it so that I can then go on to other things. And that might involve, you know, becoming rich or getting married or whatever your dream is that one way out of a dream is to indulge it fully so that then you're not always spending your time thinking about it. Well, that's a good point. If you if you actually allow yourself to have it and then you're no longer striving for it, it's the, it's the abstaining from striving that creates peace. Uh, Adyashanti yeah. described what he learned from trying to gain something material to cause happiness. And he said, what, you know, let's say you want that MG, that sports car, and you really want it. And then you get it. And for a while, you're happy. 
And he said, the reason you're happy for a while is not because you have it, but because temporarily you stopped wanting it. Yeah, yeah. But it fades. And you start wanting a better sports car or something else which you think will make you happy. And the one thing that I think we need to learn from this is that happiness is not related to outward experience. Mm -hmm. That's the ultimate lesson. I have a personal story this way. You know, growing up, I had a difficult family situation. I felt powerless a lot of the time. And it brought up in me a desire to be kind of famous. And in the late 90s, I got on Oprah and Today Show and Tonight Show and all those things. And for, you know, a year, I was a little bit famous. You know, people would stop me in the street and they'd say, oh, I saw you here or there or whatever. And it was very busy. And after about, you know, three months, it became incredibly routine. Like there was no thrill in it whatsoever. You know, you end up having the same conversation with everybody that lasts like a minute. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you're getting 100 phone calls a day. And uh, it was not fun other than like the first two months. So I got to have that experience a little bit. And then I decided I'd give it up. And I, you know, entered a spiritual community for about 15 more years and left that community a few years ago. And I'm back in writing. And now when I write, I don't have the same desire to be famous. You know, I, came, I just came out with a book called Ecstasy is Medicine. And people ask me, you know, how's your book doing? You know, like they want they want something big to happen. And I go, I don't know. You know, I don't really care. It'll do what it does. And it feels really good to not have that. I must have this. I, I need more. You know, it's that striving for more that, that interferes with now. You know, what's happening now? So in me, I'd say that that experience really did help me to get over it. And it's nice to have a book that you're promoting, but you do, it's kind of like in the Bhagavad Gita, you're acting, but you're not that attached to what happens. Yes, exactly. Uh, you're not attached to the results here. You're doing action because you're called upon to do and action. That's your service. That's right. And that's your service. And I think that that, that what you say really rings true, that we have to, at some point, we have to get what we think we want in order to understand that it's not getting stuff that actually makes us happy. Yeah. And, and we have to, and the, 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 the real, the real truth is that the conditions that we put on our experience in order to be happy are the things that prevent the actual happiness, which is just simply our nature from effortlessly manifesting. And we only take like 7,000 lifetimes to learn this one lesson. <laughs> but you can learn it. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes. But I think that I think it could be learned in this lifetime because I am an eternal optimist. Oh, well, maybe, you know, um, I was in a, a school that was kind of uh, a little bit Gurdjieff related and Gurdjieff, a teacher in the 20th century, uh, had this term called conscious suffering which was a little bit dramatic. What he meant was like abstain from something that you might normally do 
just to see how it throws a monkey wrench into your machine-like behavior. So from time to time, I've done stuff like this, and it can be really simple. Like one example is I sometimes fidget by massaging my hands. It feels good. You know, it doesn't hurt anyone, but it's what I would call self-calming. You know, I'm bored and I'll just massage my hand like this and, you know, feels good. Well, so every now and then I've abstained from that. And I see that it, it, it helped me to become more aware in the moment. First of all, to see how habitual I am, how, how much I do things out of habit. And then when I don't do it, I notice that I feel certain feelings that are, and energies that I normally am unaware of. You know, like I feel like a fidgety in my body. And then I notice that it's like food for me. You know, people eat out of emotional stuff. Now, if they didn't eat, they would notice, oh, I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling uh, angry or whatever. And abstaining from certain things can increase your awareness of stuff going on with you because now you're less machine-like and you're more uh, noticing what happens when you don't do something. You know, if you've ever tried fasting, I never knew that I think of food like every two minutes. But when you don't eat, you realize, man, I, I, I use it to calm myself. I use it for boredom. I use it for, you know, everything. And, and you then realize, wow, there's a lot of indulgences I'm doing just to kind of put myself to sleep. You know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. And I think what you describe here is really key to what we're talking about. Because abstinence, because something is bad, or because it's wrong, or there's some moral reason against it, or because you think it's going to bring you something you don't have, like enlightenment, I don't think any of those are useful uh, or, or, or worth it. But the what you're talking about is the habitual things that we do in order to prevent ourselves from experiencing directly, from experiencing our emotions directly, from experiencing just what's happening now, as opposed to our ruminations about the past and the future. And it's actually related to an acting technique and directing technique I learned when I was in the theater. There were acting teachers and directors who had a technique. They would watch an actor work on a role and see the habitual things that they did, the sort of tics that they had. Like, like, let's say a person was constantly using their hands and waving it when they're gesture or shaking their heads when they uh -huh. wanted to be sincere. And he would ask them to stop doing that. He would say, okay, now do it again and do not shake your head. Simple. Do not shake uh -huh. your head. Okay, and what happened was that the abstinence of that habitual thing of shaking their head unleashed the floodgates of true emotion. Mm. So they were using it as a crutch to sort of prevent that direct experience. And, and, and when you stop doing your habitual things, the emotions come through. And what, and, and so in relation to, um, spiritual life, you know, spiritual bypassing is the things that we do to prevent having our emotions. And that's, and if we can give up those things and just allow what is to be, including how we feel, 
then I think that would be uh, that would be much more helpful than that sort of effortful not doing it because it's wrong. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. And it's usually little things. You know, we think of asceticism, I start out the podcast with that word, but, you know, it's usually the uh, not taking the the potato chip or not looking at the internet for your latest Facebook something. You know, little things that are what I would call self-commings that keep us from the smallest amount of discomfort. And what I find is that underneath the smallest amount of discomfort is peace. But you have to be okay with being with that small amount of discomfort before you get to the level of peace and direct experience. Yeah, I, I think that yeah, people took what you just said and remembered that, then we really do enough service. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And it's really not being able to face small amounts of discomfort that get us locked in addictions and bad habits. You know, you, you have an addiction to ice cream. You want some ice cream, but you can't sit with that craving for a minute. And therefore, you know, every time you get that craving, you get the ice cream or you get the drug or whatever it is. And then we get locked in bad habits that rule our life. When I say bad habits, I mean habits that take us away from directly experiencing our emotions, usually. Yeah, absolutely. But now let's talk about how to do that, because it's actually quite challenging. Let's say you have a habit like Whenever you feel anxious, you reach for something to eat. Something not that either of us have ever experienced that, but you know, I hear other people have experienced that. So that's a good one. Yeah, I hear tell people do that. Uh Um, And so let's say you said to yourself, okay, I'm not going to do that. Right. Uh, I'm going to, you know, then it's actually a lot easier said than done. It's pretty challenging. How do you do that? What do you do? What what helps? If you are feeling anxious and you decide not to reach for the ice cream or potato chips, what helps? Well, I think extreme clarity about what you're trying to do in in making it as specific as possible. So, you know, we obviously have to eat. So you can't say I'm abstaining from food, or you can, you know, for a day. And fasting is a tried and true, interesting spiritual method. You know, been around thousands of years. And so you could say I'm going to fast for a day and then see what shows up. But I think more interesting is saying I'm going to abstain from potato chips for one week. I can eat every, you know, everything else. And then just noticing what shows up around that. And then when you do get the potato chip urge to say, I'm going to spend one minute sitting with all the feelings that show up when I am denying myself potato chips. So that's very precise. And with that level of preciseness, I think you can, first of all, do it. You know, after the minute, you can, you know, get some ice cream if you're, you know, if you're needing some some relief. But that helps build up the abstaining muscle. I'm going to sit with discomfort for one minute yeah. before I calm myself with some other food. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's really helpful. And I would add a few other things to help the sitting with discomfort. So if I decide to abstain from emotional eating um, and I'm feeling anxious, what do I do? That that little There's a little trigger inside me that says, if you eat something, it will calm you. So do it. Do it. Do so, it, baby. Do it. Yeah. So what do you do? So first of all, breathe and relax. I mean, that's amazing how often we forget to simply just take a nice, easy, deep breath and relax. Uh-huh. And the second thing is to notice that emotions are physical sensations in the body. They're chemicals coursing through your body. So look inside. Notice where you're feeling it in the body. And you can only feel something in the body now, which leads to the next step, which is just for now, drop that incessant narrative about the past and the future. Just let it go and notice what's happening right now. And I think the third thing is is our awareness practice, simply asking in what does this experience appear? In mm-hmm. what clear field of awareness does this appear? And then being that, knowing it. Sounds simple, and it's very powerful. You know, throwing that little abstaining monkey wrench into the system gives m- more ability to not be a mechanical creature and more noticing the moment and now it kind of like turns up the volume yeah and noticing the moment now direct experience without the filter of of all that verbal thought about the past and future that's that's what we're going for but when we talk about absence and and especially asceticism people think that if i don't do a certain thing i'm going to attain some future spiritual state I honestly don't think that's helpful. And there are plenty of people who've never fasted in their lives, who've awakened to their true nature. And there are plenty of, plenty of people who practice extreme asceticism and have never once noticed their pure nature as awareness, let alone their nature as happiness itself. Yeah. Well, just like every technique, you get the people who are going to do it no matter what, whether it gets any results or not, because they read it in some scripture or somebody said that. So that's one of the disadvantages. And it also, you know, can get into the problem of of self-righteousness, good and bad and morals and all that, which is generally a loser. You know, and then you get guilt and the whole religious thing, and it goes downhill from there. Yeah. So those are things to look out for. And, um, and also, you know, it can get into it, I would call spiritual materialism. Like, I don't, I don't, uh, I abstain from sex, and therefore I'm a spiritual person, or I abstain from whatever. And you can get a spiritual ego out of how how you know uh, sacrificial you are. So those are a couple of other problems with this technique that you want to be on the lookout for. You know, uh, every every method that's useful also has a potential downside yeah that's right and be aware of the pitfalls and the pitfalls as you just uh described them seem to all revolve around building up 
an image of yourself as a certain type of person. Mm -hmm. And that's not where happiness lies. It's not in the image of yourself at all. It's in that pure background, that imageless, that contentness, that conceptless background of experience in which there's no self-centered. There's no center at all. There's no, you know, the image of yourself as a person is just another appearance in pure awareness. And I'm only talking from experience, so I don't mean to be dogmatic about it at all. That seems to work for me, so I recommend it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was said very well. You know, the other the the other aspect of this, we talked about abstinence and not, but we haven't really talked about indulgence as a spiritual technique. And um one of the I mean everything can be used, like in the tantric traditions, they or some of them, they talk about really going into and savoring the experience of say sex or food or uh, sunset as the way to spiritual awakening. And I think that that is a very effective method if you use it as a method. Many years ago, I was into tantric stuff, and it helped me to get more into my senses and more into going fully into an experience rather than creating some kind of spiritual distance. That's fascinating. And this is something that I don't know that much about and don't fully understand. Yeah, well, I mean, in its simplest form, take food. You know, there's foodies. Uh, I, I used to have a really good friend who had a totally different relationship with food. She wasn't in any way overweight, but food was very important to her. You know, when she went to a restaurant, it was a three-hour experience of really meditating on each bite. You know, I generally shovel food into my mouth as fast as I can. <laughs> I am not I am not a, a food tantrika. Uh, by any means, you don't practice mindful eating. I um, that has not been one of my practices, no. But you know, after spending a lot of time with her, I saw that possibility. So sometimes I actually can do that now, and it's just a different form of meditation, really. You know, you're meditating on what's happening now, and also kind of savoring it. You know, you're not talking, you're not thinking about the past or the future, you're diving into your direct experience as fully as you can. You can do it with sex, you can do it with nature, you can do it with food, you can do it with just what are the sounds you can hear now and focus on just hearing as far and as subtly as you possibly can. So those are kind of the ways to, you know, some people might call that indulgence, but if you use it as a spiritual technique, it's not an indulgence, it's a it's a way into the present. Yeah, I can understand it much better now. And and yes, I don't it doesn't feel as you describe it like indulgence is the right word. It feels more like direct unfiltered experience. Mm -hmm. 
you're experiencing what you're sensing and what is appearing right now fully without the filter of analytical thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like uh, any technique, it has advantages and disadvantages. You know, people use that like, oh, I'm, I'm a tantrika. I do lots of sex, you know, as my spiritual practice. And uh, for some people, that could be true. And for other people, it's like, well, I just like sex. I like feeling good, so I'm going to indulge in it. You know, it's really a matter of what intention you bring and uh, what your motivation is and how you use the technique. But that it's one thing that can get can veer from its original what you call direct experience meditation and just become your indulgent person. Yeah, yeah, it can be an excuse to just do what you're driven to do. Of course, doing what we're driven to do is what most people actually do. We think we don't. We think we choose to do what we do. Mm-hmm. But I think everybody does what's in their nature to do. Um, but I, but I do think that the distinction that you make between just indulging it because it feels good and that's what I want and experiencing it directly in the present without the veil of the past and the future. I think that's a useful practice. Mm-hmm. Now, as you know, Brian, I, I lead a bunch of people on, on, ecstasy journeys and it's a very deep form of therapy and one of the things i noticed a lot of people are coming they want you know to use that medicine mdma to help them spiritually and i've been taken aback by how many people have kind of cut themselves off from pleasure you know, we we're, we live in a very, in America, a very puritanical culture in a certain way. And it often becomes very clear to me that they need to move towards feeling good. That, you know, we they, they almost think like, well, I have to get into my trauma. I have to get into my pain. I have to, uh, like, really root out everything. And what appears to me is a lot of these people need to call it indulge or explore opening to joy and pleasurable sensations that they've they put a governor on themselves like pleasure and joy and related feelings ecstasy whatever are almost like bad have you noticed this in people yes i have noticed that and i couldn't agree with you more uh when you're focused on what's wrong or you're focused on your pain, you tend to trigger stories about it and Mm -hmm. tend to not be living in present experience. But when you focus on what floats your cork, you know, just simple, you know, like for instance, appreciation. This is my favorite alternative word to gratitude. Simple Uh appreciation. What is beautiful? What do you like? What do you enjoy? When you focus on that and just give it more attention. It actually permeates your experience. In a Absolutely. And, and sometimes you need a training period of my, my, my spiritual practice now is to indulge in as much pleasure and joy as possible. 
and you got to give yourself permission because it, it really is a practice if you have this this other thing like that's a bad or you're not supposed to move in that direction but spirituality if anything is like really enjoying the moment yeah right and what you just said reminded me of the problem of should you know i yeah. should do this and i shouldn't do that you know uh, that shooting on yourself problem yeah yeah and uh i you know i have a friend that teaches women just how to enjoy the sensations of their body for sex or anything else, just that that is what she does. And uh, and you really see people's spirit light up as they open to just enjoying the moment, enjoying their body, enjoying joy. And um, I think that can be what is a lot of people's next step on the path and it's hard because you know, you can't make a rule out of it some people will do that as a way to spiritual bypass and not deal with their issues and not deal with their uh, psychological stuff so you have to really ask yourself what's helpful for me now you know what 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 aspect of perhaps abstaining from something or indulging in something could be a step forward. Absolutely. That's a key question. And there's a second key question. Am I doing this because I want to control my experience? Or am I doing it to allow experience to be as it is and to experience it directly and unfiltered? That's, uh, I think, between those two questions, uh, that would be something that people really need to explore and think about. and and ask themselves and and perhaps make some kind of practice, some kind of what we might call direct experience or indulgence practice, where they need expansion, and then some kind of abstaining practice to see if abstaining from some particular thing uh, creates an interesting dynamic. It helps them be more aware, helps them to be more available to their direct experience. And uh, it's it's... So they're both subtle methods that can go wrong, but when used correctly, they can create quite a a uh, a change in a person's experience. Yeah, well said, and a great summing up. So, with a summing up like that, I thought I would guide people in a abstaining meditation, and of course, you know, people will be able to choose what little thing they might want to abstain from and see if it might be useful for them in some way. So this is a little bit different than most meditations in which I'm going to suggest that people abstain from something for one week and that they choose, you know, it might be a food item, it might be something on the internet, it might be some kind of self-calming, and just to uh choose something and notice what the impact is in terms of perhaps helping them be more aware and be more in touch with their direct experience. So uh, right now, find a comfortable and quiet space where you won't be disturbed for a few minutes and you can sit or lie down in a relaxed position and gently close your eyes. Take a deep breath in 
and slowly exhale. Let go of any tension you may be holding as best you can. And just allow yourself to be fully present in this moment. Now I want you to bring your awareness to a habit you have that perhaps doesn't serve you. It may be a food you habitually eat that you would rather not, or a media you indulge in, or a particular type of distraction that you are willing to abstain from for a week. Just choose one specific thing that you consider maybe a not helpful indulgence and you'd be willing to do without it for a single week. And don't worry about it being the perfect choice. It's only for a week. And once you've chosen this one specific thing, that somehow impacts you. Without judgment, simply observe the impact it has had on your mind and body as you imagine indulging in this thing over an average day. Try to notice when you do it. And maybe how it doesn't necessarily serve you. Now, as you continue to breathe deeply, imagine a bright light surrounding you. That's creating a protective and calming energy. This light represents your inner peace, your true essence of peace and calmness. And visualize yourself making a conscious decision to abstain from this habit or type of media or food or whatever that disrupts your inner peace or keeps you from your direct experience. See yourself releasing any attachment to it, letting it go with each breath you take. Feel the freedom and lightness that comes with this decision. The curiosity of what it will be like abstaining from this one small thing for a week. Feel the sense that you're choosing your well-being over the temporary satisfaction or distraction of this habit.
Allow a sense of empowerment to fill your being with excitement and curiosity of wondering what will be the impact. Now bring your attention back to your breath, inhaling deeply, filling your lungs with fresh, cleansing air. And as you exhale, imagine releasing any residual tension or cravings associated with this particular habit or distraction, letting it go. With each breath, you're creating a new space within yourself, space for peace, clarity, and self-discovery. And feel the rhythm of your breath as it anchors you in the present moment. And as you continue to breathe, bring to mind the positive changes and benefits that could come from abstaining from this particular habit. Picture yourself embracing this healthier, perhaps more balanced and more present experience. You can even express gratitude to yourself for making this choice. In the remaining moments of this meditation, allow yourself to sit in stillness, fully present and at peace with your decision. And know that you have the power to cultivate inner peace and make choices that honor your well-being as you Decide with intensity to let go of this habit, abstain from it for one week, and see what that's like. And when you're ready, slowly begin to bring your awareness back to the present moment. And gently begin to open your eyes, carrying this sense of peace, empowerment, and curiosity with you as you watch what happens in this new experiment for one week. Welcome back. Excellent. I'm glad you included the the white light, the, the sort of element that's helpful because it could be challenging. Yeah, and I think when people commit to something with the right motivation, that there is a grace that can enter that can help us. Right. And I would recommend for anyone for whom doing this creates a certain amount of fear, there's a couple of things you can do. You can pick an easier thing to abstain yeah. from. I mean, start start easy and then work up to the hard ones. Or maybe try it 
for a day instead of a week. Both good suggestions. I personally chose abstaining from potato chips. I'm a little scared. Uh, could be harder than I think, but I'm thinking that, man, I could do it for a week, maybe. <laughs> well, I think that if you uh, approach it uh, in a relaxed way and uh, apply what you taught us in that guided meditation. I think so. I'll, I'll report back. If my life falls apart uh, in the next week, I'll know it was due to potato chips for holding it all together. <laughs> potato chips are the glue to existence. Exactly. We will see. Well, I wish our our uh, friends of Awareness Explorers much luck. Well, thank all the Patreon supporters. You make this possible. And we love sending you extra stuff, extra interviews and clips and blogs. So thank you for that. And you can go to patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers if you want to learn about how to support us for as little as a dollar a month. Any final words, uh, Mr. O'Connor? I enjoyed talking about this uh, with you. And I think that uh, it felt helpful in, in a way. And I, I hope that that's true for our listeners. Yeah, yeah. Well, they have a, a task now, potentially, that will help them to, as we like to say, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app, We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends, because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.